can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! Now, we're going to speak to a gentleman, a man, a person. I'm assuming he's a man and he's a gentleman, uh, but he's a person, uh, called Damien Richardson. And he is a well-known television, film and theatre actor. He grew up in Adelaide. He's uh, studied politics and drama at the Flinders University before moving to Melbourne, Australia in 1989. He has been in many shows, television shows and feature films, including Neighbours, City Homicide, The Hard Word, The Jammed Rouge and Jack Irish. He was nominated for the AFI Award for his role in Secret, the Se- in Secret Life of Us. He's worked with some of the biggest names in Australian film and television, including Guy Pearce, Joel Edgerton, Sam Worthington, Rachel Griffiths, Gary Sweet, Vince, Vince Colosimo, Noni Hazelhurst, Shane Bourne, Nardine Garner, Aaron Pedersen, and Deborah Mailman. He also did a telly movie, Fatal Honeymoon, shot in the Gold Coast with Harvey Keitel. Now, among other things, there is a uh, whole raft of information, but I just uh, wanted to read this out. After a successful year of speaking engagements in South Australia and Victoria, Damien is taking his tour of Are We Awake Yet? to Queensland and New South Wales in 2024. He takes a satirical look at his life and career and the cost of speaking out. Uh, That is uh, one of the first questions I'm going to ask, Damien. Welcome to uh, You Cannot Be Serious. There is a whole lot more to your um, uh, uh, portfolio, of course, but um, Richard Wollstonecroft here is across most of it. Uh, What I want to know is, in your, in your role or in, in the fact of having an opinion in this day and age where um, uh, I often uh, cite this, um, uh, intelligent, we are living in times when the intelligent are being silenced so that stupid people won't feel offended. Uh, so um, in your role of speaking out about things that you just believe, uh, you tend to... Uh, either get cancelled or shelved or, or, or put aside or people view you sceptically like they do with me and most other people have opinions who I've got a feeling the mainstream embrace but uh, the people who are around us all up are the vocal minority and uh, we pay the price for that. What have you suffered as a result of speaking out, well, Damien? presumptuous to say that I was one of the intelligent but may, that may be the case, Sam. And I think you're like a, a, a classic example, almost one of the first examples of what would happen to an individual that strays off of the script. 
which is extraordinary to me because I even used to watch the footy show. I actually got to a point where I went, when I went to university where I just had to make a decision to myself, and you guys were talking about cancel culture before and why someone would be cancelled, but it's not as bold as someone tells you what to think. You know when to cancel yourself or not to cancel yourself if you want to continue to operate in a certain sphere. And I know by the time I got to university, which was back in 19... God, I hate to think 1987... I knew already probably not to lead with saying that I watched the footy show. And if I did say I watched the footy show, I'd certainly make sure I had to marginalise one figure that was on the show, and that, that figure was probably Sam Newman. Now, no one actually told me that, but I knew that instinctively because we're, we're um, pack animals. Humans are pack animals. We can read a room before we've necessarily even walked into the room, and we know the polite things and the correct things to say if we would like to get ahead. And you talk about the mainstream, and you can clearly reading out my CV there. I operated in a mainstream level inside of you know film and television in this country or any country throughout the Western world. And do you think you're allowed to have an opinion other than the opinion du jour of the day. And I think we saw that just recently with the, um, the referendum around the Indigenous Voice yep. to Parliament. All the institutions, mm-hmm. every single one of them, was pro the voice, yet the majority of Australians, we're sweeping majority, were against it. And, 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 and just on uh, a larger scale, to, to concede that you are, whether you are or not, I don't know, but to concede that you are a Trump supporter, that, that, that honestly... Mm. If no one ever concedes that for fear of retribution and the kickback of people saying, Are you completely fucking stupid? Yeah. And then you have to say, Well, why do you say that? And then uh, it is amazing. It is extraordinary. It's extra- that you couldn't even say that. Yeah, you, you couldn't, couldn't even, even have support say that. for a figure that no one's probably ever going to meet in Australia or even yeah. really know who that person is. All we know about anybody is what we hear through the media. And often even shows like this become shows about I'm going to report back to you what I heard from my media source because what's happening within, you know, uh, in the Gaza Strip at this particular point in time, I actually wouldn't have a clue unless I rely on the sources of information that are telling me anyway. So what are the... What just what are a couple of things that you've had an opinion of uh, that um, have caused you some angst? Well, I'll tell you what, what I have actually seen that I know to be a fact. And I saw a protest movement in Melbourne and I saw a protest movement go to Canberra, which was around the vaccine mandates, etc. Yeah. when people had had enough of being locked into their homes and they couldn't mm. make any sense of it, spill out into the street in, in literally hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that I saw with my own eyes that were reported in the alternative media. And if I turned on the ABC or Channel 7 or 9 or 10, it didn't happen. It actually literally didn't exist to the point where I could have a fight with someone in my state about whether that actually occurred in their state or not because they were sitting at home and didn't see it on their TV. It didn't happen in Spring Street that day. So how am I going to then talk about the the greater world, what's happening literally in the Gaza Strip or wherever else, in the Ukraine or wherever else that these uh, conflicts are occurring, with any accuracy believing what I'm told in the mainstream. And that was the problem for me. I realised that the mainstream is an absolute lie. It's a sellout to whatever. Is it Big Pharma or what other massive conglomerate are they selling to? They're selling to the the, the highest bidder, obviously, which is not someone with my opinions, that's for sure. Just before you ask, uh, Richard, uh, so... In all those credits that I read out of them, all the shows that you've been in and Mm. all the producers and all the companies that you work for, 
was it still bubbling along then or hadn't yes. quite gained uh, enough momentum for it to put no, in had been jeopardy your employment or people, uh, your opportunities or your yes. chances of advancement or uh, was it starting to be a deleterious thing to your career? <laughs> it was a deleterious thing to my career. I'd written a couple of articles that were published in um, a magazine called Quadrant, which is yep. like, almost like a... Saw that. Yep. Right-wing yeah, journal. You know, well, they say it's right-wing, whatever that even necessarily means, yeah. or conservative, exactly. And it's not something I would have necessarily said. I remember when I was on Neighbours, actually, they came out and they did it like one of those uh, fold out pieces on you that they do you know the weekend yep. magazine comes and they do a phone and the photographer came in now the photographer came in he started bagging out the first thing he did to enter the room was basically start bagging out flyover country when he was in the US and the sort of people that might support Trump yep. and it was very difficult for me to sit in my lounge room and have that guy in there and not say hey by the way they're probably my people because yep. I'm probably born from a working class Adelaide family who probably would have all been Trump supporters. But then for me to operate in the arts establishment, I have to belie that history, my heritage, my pedigree to get along. And I just got to a point where I thought I'm not going to. And I'm certainly not going to in my own lounge room. So, but I don't want to have a fight with this photographer necessarily. Mm. So then the, then the publicist there is really interested in me. Like, oh my God, this, you've got all this other stuff going. We could perhaps we could use this not knowing at that particular time and I know already that she won't be able to use anything I'm saying <laughs> anyway but she doesn't know that yet she's like well where's the, where are these ideas come from and I said well actually because we did this spread and they ended up talking about this article that I had written for Quadrant and they wanted to know what you know what it was about and um, I said cultural Marxism mm. and they went What's that? <laughs> and then I sort of went on to describe a little bit of what that was, was, which is clearly what we're talking about now, the cancellation of opinions that aren't approved on in the mainstream. And I never heard from her again. And the idea was she was going to promote that article as a way of promoting the show that I was actually on as a cross-promotion thing. And obviously it didn't go anywhere. And I knew it wouldn't go anywhere. And I was a fool to even mention it in the first place because it did make it deleterious to my prospects, as you so rightly point out, Sam, as you so well know yourself. Do you think the wheel is turning that other opinion, uh, alternate opinion, is now actually getting a um, more, more of a run because people have sought found the gig we've had enough yeah. the gig is up uh, as someone said and I love these are not any of my things I'm not smart enough to think this up but never worry about the haters they're only angry because the truth you speak contradicts the lies they live that sounds great, yeah. And there's an alternative media source, and like this is a classic example mm -hmm. of what we're doing here. Your podcast is an alternative media source. Is that why the government are moving to, you know, bring in that misinformation dis information bill too because of the difficulty that's created for it? But even in the pandemic, Rukshan, Fernando would turn on his camera and there'd be, you know, 60,000, 70,000 people watching it within the first five minutes, sort of figures that I think Channel 7 and Channel 9 would have begged for. So it's a real problem to them where people are going to alternative media sources mm. to find out what's going on. Anyone? Doc, got anything? Yes, I have, actually. Richard? Sure. Well, Richard, you go first. Well, Damien, tell us a little bit about working on Neighbours and your experience there. What was the character you played and, uh, like, you know, how did it feel sort of, you know, having sort of contrary views operating within essentially what was Australia's most popular you know, TV drama? I think Neighbours was probably Australia's most popular TV drama once upon a time. And yep. what a clever concept that there would be a group of uh, households mm -hmm. next to each other and you'd get 
into that world by mm. it's very 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 simple but it's also very clever but now what does it do 35 years later plus that mm-hmm. has been around what does it become you know it becomes basically a stalking horse for whatever is the progressive ideal of that particular point in time so if it's gay marriage that's what you're going to get you and know. you noticed the kind of woke ideology oh, coming absolutely but i was from an old school family an old yep. anglo-celtic irish catholic sort of yep. family that were you know knock about probably weren't into that sort of stuff if that's what your thing is don't worry go for it but you know we're over mm-hmm. here doing our own thing and that family was very uh uh, successful as far as again not like unlike we're talking about the footy show people loved sam yeah they loved him because they wanted the controversy they wanted to hear themselves refle- reflected back in honesty not through mediated through the media so you get this half version of sam and i think yeah. it was the same thing with that aussie family that's that's who we are they just talk as we yeah. might talk yeah. they're a bit uh, yep. stupider perhaps than what we actually are because that's that show anyway mm-hmm. but so that family got cancelled first i got they got rid of me they, but they, they of actually got rid of the entire family really because well, it comes a problem to them because they're now well that what that show now is, is looking at wants to see indian families that are now australian and wants to see yep. you know uh, iraqi families that no they're not they're australian everyone's australian now and it's now every second character will be trans or they'll be uh, in a homosexual relationship or they'll be bisexual they might go either way so it's more than just the abc pushing this uh, oh, heaps, more, rubbish. heaps more heaps more and that's the only reason it still existed because the show got Canned, yep, yep, you know, and uh, it, it got picked up again. No, I actually remember your face very well from uh, Australian. I used to watch all the Australian dramas, still mm-hmm. do. When you were offered a part in one of these Australian dramas, were you more attracted to the good guy part or the bad guy part? And I'll, t- I'll give you a quick example Lisa McCune has for generations, always or years, uh, always played the good guy part or the good girl part. Because she's, she's a, yep. a sweet person. I've interviewed yep. her a couple yep. of times. Yep. But I once saw her play a bad a, a person part in uh, Ry- Rafe. Rake? Rake. Rake. Yes. And yeah. I'll tell you what, I have never seen a more evil character in my life. Mm-hmm. Lisa McCune, you know, the embodiment of goodness, mm-hmm. playing one of the most evil characters. So <laughs> which of the parts... i tell you something, that one is. Yeah. Which of the parts that you uh, you would be attracted to, the good part or the bad part, well, or just should, whichever well, you're this offered? Well, this is the answer I was saying, because Lisa McCune, if you're a jobbing actor, right, and you talk about Lisa McCune, so she was on Blue Healers as mm. the good angelic copper forever she would have paid a mortgage off with that maybe she's buying a holiday home when she does rake and everyone goes that was a great role she's probably on for one episode because she's a psycho from hell and she will not sustain you know a psycho lawyer from hell well that's it they don't they don't more often than not they don't build a tv series around Mm. someone as uh as dangerous as that you know but they'll build a series around a more uh moderate personality so that's what happens you would want to play a good guy because the good guy will have a sustained career yeah. on that so are you more attracted line. to the good guy or the bad oh we're not necessarily because obviously there's a lot of fun in playing that someone isn't a good guy and we're an amalgam of all those things as human beings mm. anyway aren't we ultimately but i went from playing a lot of bad characters and when i, I got a nomination for an afi award is when i beat up kelly on uh, Deborah Mailman's character on Secret Life of Us. You know, he was a psycho, but somewhere I got an AFI nomination for it. Um, you know, but I was on City Homicide for four years as mm-hmm. a good mainstream conservative sort of valued copper. And uh, you so know, that got you the jobs? Being a, being a good guy? Well, that gets you a sustained, whereas like yep. the Secret Life of Us would have been two episodes, like two, mm. literally two 
weeks of shooting, maybe, tops. I got paid for two weeks of work, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas City Homicide was on it for four years. So that's, I think that's a big part of what the difference is too. So the good guy pays a lot better than the, the good guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, in that, in that scenario. Maybe there's other streaming services now where that may not be, be the case. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a TV. Yeah. I don't watch TV. All right. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing you talked about with Neighbours too, you were asking before, and that, that became a thing when I was on Neighbours too because it was great. Like I don't want to just can it because it was great to have a job and it was great to have that structure in your life too because you often don't have structure as in, in the arts and entertainment industry. So to go to a job every day and then the idea of pulling a scene apart and making it work and having it crackle between mm. the three or four actors or whoever was involved in that scene was a fantastic thing. But there was two times when you'd look at the script and you'd panic about how ridiculous or how much of a buffoon are they going to make Gary Canning this week and is it going to be possible for me to even maintain my sense of dignity as a human being and still be able to deliver these words are there any of these movies whether australian made or international ones that you look at and you say that's that's almost the perfect movie i could look at time and again and dissect all those scenes and see how it's put together I mean, I, I, for example, if you want me to offer you one, uh, there's two, The Godfather and uh, uh, Remains of the Day. I think they're almost the two perfect movies. Yep. I look yep. at time and again. Are there any that you choose? Yeah, it's difficult because, see, I've now I've stopped engaging with the mainstream. Right. I've literally stopped engaging with the mainstream. I don't have a TV. I can't remember the last time I saw a film. I talk mm-hmm. to Richard often because I'm waiting... Now, when I see a film, I'm waiting for the moral lesson that I'm going to be given, the overt moral lesson. Yeah. yeah. You see it. In and the, I go, the, oh, the message. Made these the things. message. Mm. The message. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the films should never message. be a lecture. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I never like yeah. a film. I don't mind if a film has meaning. You know what I mean? Like, a film should have meaning, but it shouldn't be lecturing you. And if you look at all the great filmmakers, they were never lecturing you. Someone like Stanley Kubrick yeah. would give you an interesting... And he would, like, raise a debate with the film. Say with two thousand and one about the power of AI, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so and like you know, could it potentially become lethal? You know, and he yeah. wasn't saying it was necessarily mm-hmm. a good or bad thing. He just says this mm-hmm. is a problem we're going to face, mm-hmm. and it is now a problem we're facing as we see AI beginning to influence our lives as it begins to take over things like the algorithms and the things we see on social media. I mean, already our lives are beginning to be structured by AI. So you know, I think that is the way to you know that's what good art does. And then this kind of woke art, which seems to be almost like made by a committee, you know, like Stalinist way. Like these are woke ideas. You know, we believe in transgender politics. We believe in you know yeah. LGBT. Mm. We believe in this. You know, we believe in the yes vote. And you're all got to believe that mm. in like some kind of communistic way. So was some, so was someone like Steven Spielberg, who made uh, Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. was he lecturing this, or was he just asking the question as to why good people go and fight wars? Trying to explain it to us. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, he's he's sort of an interesting filmmaker. I mean, he's made some interesting films, um, but you know, I, I would say he's part of what you call the globalist agenda, um, particularly recently, um, where his work, you know, is pushing a certain kind of polit- political um, globalism. You know, um, you know, uh, earlier in his career, his lo- his work was a lot less kind of political, and I think a bit more interesting. But Hollywood comes with. It's an agenda anyway, doesn't yeah. it? Straight away, mm. as soon as you see a Hollywood film, you're engaging in that, and anyone to work in that space would know that's the politics they're engaging with. And of course they are, and mm. any uh, 
place that makes films like Hollywood is going to come with uh, a political understanding that you're going to have to accept to mm. operate in that space. But at what point do you get to a point where you find it increasingly difficult to accept those things? Mm. And I had had trouble well before the COVID narrative, but that's when it spilled over for me, when I went, oh, this is enough. Mm. And every mainstream television show and therefore every mainstream actor was pro-vaccine or at least to be seen to be pro-vaccine to make sure that they could then allow themselves to continue to have a working life. And I just got to a point where I thought, I can't tolerate this anymore. So where am I now? I'm in real trouble. I'm in serious trouble because I'm potentially sacrificing my ability to pay my mortgage, to pay for my three children, for the opinions that I have. So at what point now, what, what's being questioned of me as a human being and for me in this particular case as a male, as a man, to stand up for something? Am I being asked to stand up for something? Did all the battles we fought happen historically? Was it just my grandfather's war record that I'm so proud of in the Middle East? Is that where it ended? Well, it didn't. Fukuyama said that the history's ended with the fall of the Berlin Wall, that we're going to be into this sort of, sort of harmonious, mm-hmm. you know, post-communist uh, uh, world, but mm-hmm. it's actually not the case at all. There's still battles being fought. And is there a battle being asked of me in this particular point in time in living in Glenroy in Victoria in Australia? And I felt there was. And I thought, I'm going to stand up for that, come what may, and see what happens. And that's taken me now on a different trajectory and not necessarily a trajectory that they're going to necessarily want to use me in a TV show. And even if they do... What I have to accept is the premise, because I have been in for auditions since the COVID pandemic, since I took a stand against it, Um, but I have to accept the premise of the scripts. And the premise is, basically, that Australia is an illegitimate culture in many respects because of the historical wrongs that was done to the Indigenous people that were here beforehand we can be redeemed if we accept multiculturalism if we accept you know mass immigration from the four corners of the globe and we accept what was wrong in the foundation of this country to be a white australia in the first place if i accept that then i can be allowed into the pantheon still to participate if i don't accept that i'm in trouble and I guess <laughs> that's why I'm here yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially you've been banned or really? barred. In a way. In a way. Because there is a reality to what I'm saying. There's a truth to what I'm saying. And it's a very, very uncomfortable truth. And I think it's a truth that a lot of Anglo-Australians would identify with and know. So when I would go around to speaking engagements, I ran for office at the federal election in 2022, and I would talk like this. Which, which electorate? I ran for the Senate. Right. I never had a chance of winning, but mm. I had a chance of garnering some support and I had a chance of offering support to people that have been marginalised by the political process itself. You were in, uh, you were in Flinders yep. University in yep. the mid-80s. Yes. I was at Flinders University in 71 onwards okay. and then went to there. So yep. in my day, it was the Vietnam War. Yep. And the best letter I ever got was from Gough Whitlam that said, I'm no longer invited to partake of the Vietnam War. Great letter, wonderful mm-hmm. letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really admire all those people who went, uh, sent by their country, uh, conscripted, 
and I've treated many, many of them, and they're wonderful, damaged individuals, yep. and I wasn't damaged. What were the political things in... Because the, the anti-Vietnam thing came out of Flinders University in South Australia uh, in the early 70s. What were the political uh, movements at Flinders in your time in the 80s? Well, when I went there, I went to the Drama Centre and I went to... I did uh, politics as well, so I did a drama politics double major. Ronald Reagan was the president at the time. Maybe there was some sort of inspiration. Obviously, he'd been a, uh, an actor and he'd become the president of the United States of America. <laughs> um, mm. He was it solid, was, Reagan. Yeah, well, it was very feminist, very feminist. So the course I did was feminist and I got there and we were basically told that we wouldn't be doing Shakespeare because Shakespeare was, well, he wasn't just a man, he was a misogynist. And uh, Bertolt Brecht was held up as in the pantheon as yeah. the greatest uh, sort of, there's the pinnacle of the dramatic art form in the end, do you know what I mean? Communist. Communist, yeah, that's right. Jewish. And, and I was just a young kid straight out of school and I went, oh, thank God I'm getting here to learn this stuff. I didn't even know that, you know, Shakespeare was a whatever. And what's a misogynist anyway? And I found, although I found this sort of language out and then I'd take it home and uh, pick on my family with it and go, well, I'd tell my grandfather that he was clearly a misogynist by the way he t treated my grandmother and stuff. And he thought, great, well, so finally we've got this working class kid, first one to go to university. And he's, got a he's, label. and he's using words that I've never even heard of. So it must be working. It must be good, you know. But it, it took some time for me then too to catch up on what the propagandisation of me as a young mind, a young intelligent mind, and I just picked it up. And But something did rankle with me even then. Something rankled with, with me. But that's that's very much... Were there actors then that you admired that you don't admire now? I don't know. It's hard to admire actors. You can admire an actor for their craft, right? Because they might have a fantastic craft, but acting is not a profession when you can afford to be seen to stand outside of the narrative because yeah. it is the propaganda arm of the regime, of the international machine. It is the, that's where the money goes to propagandise what we're doing. You can't be saying something off script, my friend. Look, look at what they did to Russell Brand. Russell Brand's a classic example of someone created by the industry as a very sort of left-wing guy who's so moved in his political position and suddenly they really had to cancel Russell because he was getting a lot of traction. Uh, only a couple of them, uh, from my point of view, stand out. John Voigt probably has withstood... Uh, totally. Yeah, totally. And Absolutely. was great in um, Ray yeah, he's Donovan. Great. Uh, and um, Clint Eastwood. Absolutely. Clint Eastwood. Another one. Uh, yeah. Trump supporter. Rosie McDonald. Rosie... Yeah, yes. No, hang on, no, what's the name? Rosie's uh, daughter, Trump no, the, supporter. No, no, not Rosie McDonald. The, um, what's her name? Yeah. Oh, the woman, yeah. yeah. Roseanne. Roseanne. Roseanne Barr. Yeah. Roseanne yeah. Barr, sorry, that's who I was trying to, yeah. But Clint Eastwood, uh, he, he's prevailed uh, probably much to the chagrin of the uh, Hollywood set, but he's just uh, still going at yeah, just yeah. over he's 90. He's making a new film yeah. right now. He's still making, yeah, he's doing yeah, his 90s. Yeah. So um, if you're big enough, you can withstand the, uh, the heat. This As is true. Say, That's the alternative, isn't it? If you're big enough, yep. you can afford to maybe have a position outside yeah. of that. Yeah. So, and so in 72 or 73, when Marlon Brando refused the Academy Award for The Godfather because of the, uh, his perception of how they treated the American Indians, mm -hmm. how, did, how did you view that? Well, I was two. <laughs> yes. So, so goo-goo-gaga. <laughs> But, I mean, in, in retrospect, when you saw what he had done, he had rejected the Academy. I thought it was bullshit. 
You think he should have taken it? I mean, look, you know, Brando is Brando and he's entitled to his own political opinions, but I thought it was bullshit. I mean, it, it just seems like he'd fallen in with that, you know, um, that kind of politics in America, even though, I mean, obviously there are some interesting issues that come out of, you know, Amer- American Indian politics and obviously there has been injustice, but, like, um, you know, I, I think it wasn't the right thing to do because, I mean, he'd been in the political wilderness, um, you know, he'd made a lot of films in the late 60s that hadn't done so well and then, he, you know, he was given this spectacular part um, in The Godfather. I think he should have turned up and accepted the award and... You know, he could have made a comment at the end himself about something, but, you know, I think it was disrespectful. Mm. I think, too, to be considered a good person, you have to accept uh, the civil rights movement as being a wonderful thing and a very important moment in history. But, again, it's one of those things that we just learn that that's the right thing to do. And you learn about, you know, yeah. Martin Luther King and Judge a Man, not by the colour of his skin, we but the content of his character. Afterwards. You learn about it afterwards. And now it becomes like mm. one of those things that you'd have to just have to take on board. How was but, I deaf to it at the time? Well, no, I think now there needs to be critical eye needs to be cast over why we're taught that those things are so wonderful yeah. and, and that you have no other, option, no other so. option but to accept that as being a wonderful thing. Is that not the beginning of the attack on... Western civilization. Western civilization. See, I think one of the best or the most entertaining movies I've seen in recent years, you may not have seen it, is called uh, The Green Card. Mm-hmm. And it's about... Uh, ah, it's a two-parter. Two that, that should be mandatory for... That should be... Green Card should be mandatory for all schools Sorry, to Green watch. Book. Green Book. Green Book, um, yeah, yeah, About no. the, the, the roughneck guy who is the chauffeur for the um, concert pianist. Yeah. Uh, and that and... Um, and, and um, the one about space, uh, what's that called? Um, figure, uh, f- what? Numbers. Yeah, what's that called? Oh, fuck. Um, one about the, about the, the, four, the three black women who did the calculations oh, yes, to put John Glenn into space yeah. called Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They should be two mandatory films to watch about racism and uh, uh, they are fantastic. I, I, could, I couldn't green, agree more. The Green Book and Hidden Figures are Just two of the best films you'd ever see. And I can't believe when racism. you saw Green Book, it was basically a two-hander. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the guy in the back seat, the yeah. black American, he won Best Supporting Actor in mm-hmm. uh, uh, two, 2019. Yeah, and, and true story. And mm. it's a true story. And, and so the guy in the figures. front was up for the Best Actor. Uh, he lost out to uh, the guy f- from uh, Freddie Mercury. Uh, and it was the Best Picture of the Year. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I missed it. Mm. And I only found it last year. Okay. And my wife yeah. and I watched it. Watch and then it the twice. next night, yep. we watched it again. Yes, I well, think yeah. right? a lot okay. of these films raise the issue of identity politics. And as, you, as you've noticed, Sam, like you, when you bring up, obviously, if one raises identity politics in relation to Aboriginal politics, you know, that's celebrated by the ABC. That's like, of course, yes, you know, whatever, you know, uh, land rights, this, that, and the other. But you can't raise identity politics apropos of European people. You know, that possibly settling this country was a good thing. You know what I mean? You know, uh, you can't raise that issue because that's somehow considered like white nationalism or, Mm. you know, you know. But it's like, why can't you? If you you are going to play the identity politics game, why are Europeans not allowed to play it as well? So what happens when the money comes along to you and says, you're a free thinker, you've got a lot of experience, you know what you're doing, what are the movies you would like to make in Australia nowadays? 
I think it would be hard to make a movie because you would need so much money, you'd need so much finance, so you need the capital to back it in the first place and the capital won't necessarily be there. Perhaps to back a movie or the sort of conversation that we're having right now where I'm obviously coming from, I imagine there wouldn't be any money there for it. So instead, I've written a play. I've just finished writing a draft of a play and I've done this before and it's a two-hander. I've deliberately made it a two-hander. Movement in place? Yes, yes, yes. I've just... I'm, I'm about? I'm thinking maybe calling it Waiting for Mum. <laughs> um, but I've got it called Movement at Place at the moment. Yeah, you're right, That's Sam. About, That's very about good. about love? Well, it's about the impossibility of love yes. in the modern world in some respects yep. too as a result of... Uh, so, like, feminism is the uh, du jour. That's the thing that you can't criticise. You cannot be seen to be... Uh, staying inside of polite society and polite company if you'd make any criticism of the feminist movement. That's when I first got cancelled when I was doing a show with Channel 7 and they told me not to come to work tomorrow because I right? Yeah, because I'd written an article in rebuttal of uh, Clementine Ford. I think she'd written an article uh, in, of course, which is published in The Age because it would be published in The Age. I love this thing about, you know, the left or whatever it makes out it's fighting against the man even <laughs> when it becomes the man. It is the man. It yeah. is the mainstream. It is the, mainstream. It is the narrative. <laughs> and I wrote an article in defence of Western culture as a response to what Clementine Ford had written. And, of course, I sent it to the age, said, well, this is who I am, this is my CV. You may be interested in publishing me just as a result of that. It had a beginning, a middle and an end. It made sense. It was coherent. It wasn't just an attack on her. Um Crickets, sound of crickets. Didn't hear a word. What a surprise. What a surprise. And in the end, I put it on, I just posted it myself on Facebook. And then I got told through my agent, don't come into work tomorrow. That's the ramifications. Don't come in. We've had it, we've we've rethought how we would cast. Oh, okay. It was a a small role. It didn't matter in some respects. (laughs) But it was a shot shot across the bow. And then then that's when you go into your own head and you go into the censorship because you're meant to censor yourself. You're not meant to say these things, Dame. You're meant to know there's a microphone in front of you. You There's a density crowd of people listening. You don't say this stuff, mate. And that's what I went home then, and I also had a wife and kids at that particular point in time, and maybe that's why I don't have a marriage anymore too, because I've taken this stance. That could well be the case, because often you have a woman in the background going, shut up, mate, suck it up, I know what you're saying, I even agree with what you're saying, but suck it up because you're paying for this at the moment, all right? I'd be told that myself. A lot of that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, but the recriminations did come where I'm going, why am I saying this, why am I doing this, what's going on? Mm. So I ring up the union movement for uh, I want to go unfair dismissal. This is a possibility of an unfair dismissal. Here. They haven't even told me why. They just said, don't come to work tomorrow, basically. And she asked me what the nature of the complaint was. So I explained to the, you know, the mm. um, good, the good uh, secretary from the union movement. And the phone went down. It's like, and then no, couldn't even ring anyone. Couldn't even ring. And then the next time I get a decent job is probably when I did the four years on Neighbours. And the union people are there saying, why aren't you a member anymore? Join the union. Come on, join the union. I said, are you kidding me? So, again, it comes to a moment of principle. What's my principle? Is it better for me to be seen to be a member of the union movement because then I fit in here and I can espouse all the stuff? Or is there something else being asked of me to stand up for myself and who I am? And that's what I chose in the end. And it costs me. It does cost. It comes at a cost. It reveals something else as a result. I couldn't have written movement in place if I hadn't have made these stances because I wouldn't have anything to say. I'd just be sprouting back what we've all heard every time in the mainstream. Anyway, Sam, I can see you're no, keen to come in. Please come in. Not at all. No, no. <laughs> I'll just no, keep talking otherwise. Not at all. <laughs> no, in a much uh, lesser and um, more trivial 
Matt, I was cancelled off uh, open mic. Remember Mike yeah. Sheehan used to do that? Uh, we had a discussion here, Don Scott and I and Mike Sheehan, about why Nicky Winmar lifted his jumper up at uh, Victoria Park yes, 30 years that. ago. Yes, I do. And it was There's a statue of him very there. sensible conversation as a lot of people thought it was about his overweightness. He was pointing to his fat guts, saying mm. I, we prevailed in spite of me being unfit and... He said, and we accepted it, that it was about his skin colour. And we were discussing that and we got charged with vilification and got yeah. fined $100,000 for daring to discuss what everyone thought it was about. And I was scheduled to go on open mic and um, um, I, I rang Mike up and I said, now, what time am I meant to be in there? He said, oh, he said, I forgot to tell you. He said, they don't want you to come in. I said, oh, oh, were you actually going to tell me that? He said, oh, I said, he said, I was a bit embarrassed to tell you. I said, embarrassed to tell me? Uh, we would have been far more embarrassed if I'd turned up. And yes, <laughs> uh, he said, yeah, because, oh, no, he said, because it, it was considered racism. We've been charged with vilification. I said, well, you were part of the conversation. Uh, yeah, and yeah. you and Don, I wasn't even at the yeah. game. I was just... Asking you some questions yeah. about it. So, yeah, why can't we talk? Yeah. I said, why couldn't we possibly yeah. talk about it? Um, so, 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 there's all these little quizlings around it. I and, and, up, and then they can throw you under the bus because it's very easy, it's very convenient, and you become that person. And see, I potentially become that person to people too. We maybe yeah. have this conversation, but in the end, we can marginalise Damien because him, remember him that you had to get rid of before? Yeah, Stood right. up against the vaccines. He's the problem. Well, okay, he's, great. He's replaceable. That's right, Cause, and we all are replaceable yeah. ultimately, and that's the so problem, the, the the movement in place it was about love, and you did a movie with uh, the great Harvey Keitel I up did. in um, yep. Yep. the Gold Coast, I think. Fatal honeymoon. Fatal honeymoon. Yep, yep. Um, Nadia Tass was the director of that. Yes. Who was Nadia Tass? And what was mm -hmm. uh, Harvey Keitel's got a pretty big CV. What yep. was he out doing that for? Yeah, uh, well, I, I, let's face it, he probably wasn't at the pinnacle of his no, career at that, was, uh, at that particular juncture, but I was great to be on a set yeah, with him. You know, and, that, and that's the thing that makes people excited. They how, love. How did how'd you get on with Harvey? Yeah, pretty good. He was Because Sam Neill talks about him not well in his book. Okay, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Well, look, Harvey came and he was just like, Lily deliberately like, um, almost had that method acting style that Americans are renowned for. Yeah. Like, what is this scene? What's happening here? Yeah. Why am I saying this word? No, I don't need it. I'm not going to say it. And, you know, he's at that point in his career too where he can say that, whereas, you know, underlings like me are saying, oh, just thanks very much for the job, you yeah, know. What do you want it. me to say? I'll do anything you want sort of thing, you know. And he's going, <laughs> no, no, that, he, that's not necessary. Whatever. And it's good. So he really unpacked that script and, yeah. Isn't it an amazing how you remember things I see that he was in, I just was looking him up just while you were talking, and he was in the great, the Grand Budapest, the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm -hmm. which yep. I remember Ralph Fiennes being in, and I, I don't know why I remember this. Ralph Fiennes, Ralph Fiennes had one of the great lines, which I remembered, and it said, "Nice to see there are still some slivers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known as humanity." It's incredible that what, you remember that line because that's I, not true. But wasn't a line to remember. That's I have a, no idea I remember yeah, that. That's but so I thought, detailed. Who would think that up? That's a, that's very clever yeah, to say. Yeah. It's slivers Ralph of Fiennes is great. civilization. Yeah. He's been uh, Schindler's he, List. He upended. Yeah, he upended the uh, Shielder in the toilets at the, on, yeah, on the Qantas plane. He did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he was a very uh, busy uh, man. He went on to bigger and better things. She got sacked. Yeah. Yeah. So so. The, the show you took on the road, and I think you're taking on the road this yeah, year. Yeah. 
Are we awake yet? Yes. Yep. I know you've probably covered most of it in what you've said. I've but said is, some is, of it, yeah. is I have that, said some of it, yeah. yeah. No, but is that... What else do you talk about in the some show? Just recollections of uh, just the, not unfair, the, uh, the biased world we live in and how people can't accept another opinion. Uh, and, and It's like that saying I just read out because it makes people uncomfortable because the lies, the truth you speak um, uh, makes them uncomfortable because it uh, uh, distorts the lies yeah. that they live. And it's, and it's definitely how the mainstream manipulates the Overton window. So what we're talking about, you guys might know this concept of the Overton window, it's what you're accepted you're allowed to talk about and still be considered to be part of polite society. So, you know, you have to take on the civil rights movement as just being fact, just being a wonderful thing that just sprung out of the necessity, the human need, and that's a wonderful thing. If you make any criticism of it or have any concerns or any questions, you're marginalised already straight away. The clear example of that was obviously around the vaccine mandates, and that's what made me find myself in this space. I was pushed into it more than thinking that I would actually enter it. And there was a protest movement out the front of the CFMEU office. There was a whole uh, group of construction workers saying we don't want to take your vaccine mate and we'll to keep our jobs and Sally McManus the head of the ACTU came out of the airwaves and called us all Nazis and I thought that's extraordinary no, a bunch of I don't want to take workers. a vaccine and suddenly now I'm in Germany 1937 what's, <laughs> what's happening here you know and then I got it became an education, a process of education for me, what the media does. And that's the ultimate vilification because here we are living in a world where it says, well, let's celebrate diversity and equality and inclusion and difference of everybody, but we still need someone to marginalise. Who can we marginalise? Well, who we can marginalise is who we beat in the Second World War still. They're the Nazis. So anyone that stands outside of the system that comes a problem to us as that movement was a problem when they were out the front of the CFMEU office because they were just too strong, it was like civil unrest on the streets of Melbourne like it was 1937 yep. Germany. It was extraordinary. Hence the fact they call Trump a Nazi. Yeah. Because, exactly. Uh, they call Trump because they can't and the think more of anything you look else at it, to call people. Them, yeah. And the more you look at it, Sam, the more you Lazy. see they call any of those people not, like when you when you was talking about recently the welcome to country, how you didn't want to have it at footy matches anymore and basically they vilified you as being outside of the Overton yep. window. Mm. They create that Overton window for themselves. There's still mm. probably the massive population probably agrees with you but they make a pretense world where they don't agree with you so you become beyond the pale and that's what they did to us for standing up and so that's what I often go around now and talk about and it's the gift that keeps on giving because if you just keep staying in that space the more they heap upon you to be that Nazi to the point where they actually wrote an article this is so perverse it was in September this year so it's not oh sorry 2023 I should say so just last year yeah. now likening me to Hitler for standing up for really? in, yeah. yeah for uh, native timber forestry workers. Now the native timber industry is finished on the first of this year in Victoria. So we went down to Tarragon and stood up for these people. I went down there just to report on it. Ended up making a speech there because they asked me to, and um, I vilified in the age as literally being Hitler. Fantastic. I mean, it's perverse. You couldn't so ask perverse. for something better, mate. Yeah, just, just, just standing up for. The native, yeah, local. Yeah, because it's all, and because I articulated the fact that this is basically an industry uh, populated by white working class men in support of their white working class families. I dared make that uh, collective understanding of white identity. If you do that, you're in trouble. But you that's can not collect a, it. 
you can make a collective identity about any other group, any other group, and not only will we not be in trouble, it'll be celebrated, the right of Israel to protect its, 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 its national borders, how wonderful it is that we have Croatian people here and they should continue to celebrate their Croatian identity or their African identity or any, you name it. If you dare stand up for a white identity, you're in trouble. You're but in you've serious been... trouble. And that's what I talk about in this, in this Are We Awake Yet that's been cruising around the country. And there's a voice and there's, a, there's people that are interested in hearing it. And I don't have to make it up because it just keeps being revealed to me. But it you being, being called revealed. a Nazi is not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on the people who say that because they're either inbred or yep. they're ill-bred yep. or they're ignorant. And because uh, they have nothing... They cannot think of any other word to call you uh-huh. other than pig's vomit or any yeah. uh, any other st- uh, completely um, uh, um, completely bad uh, bad name because they're just lazy and they but if you see, have nothing if else you see to the, say. The speech I made at Traugen, it's online, and what happens is a lot of people are laughing because it's funny because I have a sense, I maintain a sense of humour amongst all of this. And it's garnering support because it does have that self-effacing humour as well. That was the threat to the system, to the status quo. So what they're doing by calling me a Nazi in a mainstream publication mm-hmm. is letting everybody else that's in their lounge rooms who aren't thinking about it, who mm-hmm. don't really care, just remember somewhere along, oh, that's that guy... Oh, he's a Nazi because yeah, yeah. they read it in the paper. That's what they're trying to do mm-hmm. to make sure that you cannot get support. They're also trying to crush the support mm-hmm. that I did have around me because everyone's going, yeah, go, Damo, good on you. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. Oh, they called him Hitler. Oh, sorry. That's beyond, That's too much because that's too much for everybody. You hear that word? It was a Trotskyist strategy, you know, yeah. to, to call people racist or Nazis or something. You know, like anybody who opposed essentially the communist agenda. Yep. You know, yep. and... No, so we are. I see you are um, embracing uh, Australia Day. You yep. have a, um, yep. a organising an Australia Day celebration yes, at are. the Doncaster Lawn Bowls Club. Um, yep. uh, you might have to have some security for the Invasion Day uh, uh, activists that come yep. down and uh, yep. light sticks and throw them at you. What do we all think but, of that bullshit? Uh, but, uh, but but honestly, the fact that. The fact that Australia Day, if someone, as I say, hadn't sailed up a river or landed here in a boat, or I don't know what, why we all can't embrace what this country, this great country is without this continual division. And uh, how you invaded, um, fair enough. I don't know if you invaded or not. There'd be nothing here if someone hadn't invaded us. Um, and, who do you think would have come here if the English didn't do it? Who if the Germans yeah, came yeah. here? Or the Belgians, that would have been a lot worse. The French, the French were here already. That's what's called La Perouse, because the French were here. There's, yeah, there's place names around the country. Anyhow, so no, that's... Uh, so can, can I just tell you how great Australia is? Doc, go ahead, yeah. Doc, seeing as you've I, made a fortune out of it. I've, yes, I've, <laughs> I was handing out how to vote cards a couple of, uh, a couple of cycles ago, a couple of... And uh, for the, I was a member of the Liberal Party, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm there by myself, pre-poll, in the safest, second safest seat in Australia, in Barker and Mount Gambia. And up the road comes, uh, say to 30 in the morning, it's just open, no one is there. I'm the only person there wearing a little uh, blue vest. And up the road saunters this old fellow. He's a patient of mine. I've put two, two new knees at him. And he's walking very well. <laughs> and he comes up the road and he gets right into my face. And I'm not going to say the word, but it's about going and seeing people in the Northern Territory. Um, yeah. And uh, and he gets okay. right. He says, "I would never vote for you, Liberal." 
whatever. Mm-hmm. And, a, and I, I said, well, Reg, I'll call him Reg because that's his name. And uh, I said, well, Reg, I totally agree with you. Uh, I think you should express those views, particularly at this time. And as soon as he heard my voice, his eyes opened and he stepped back and he said, oh, goodness, Doc, I didn't know it was you. I said, that's right. I fully support your uh, effect to say that, and particularly at this time, and I absolutely support it. He said, no, no, Doc, you don't understand. I've just called you whatever. See you in Northern Territory. See you next Tuesday. Hmm. And I said, no, 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 you called me a Liberal one. That's a big difference. But, you know, I still defend your right. He said, no, no, you still don't understand. He says, I've got to come and see you this afternoon about my knees. (laughs) And uh, I'm not trusting what you're going to do them now. uh, And I said, I'll look forward to seeing you. And he says, I'd better take one of your cards. He looked around furtively because he'd never done this and he took a how to vote Liberal card and he walked in and gave a second vote, which he'd never done in his life before. And that afternoon... Uh, I saw him, we had a laugh about it, I still bulk build him. In other words, you can call your orthopaedic surgeon one of those things in the morning and he'll still see you in the afternoon mm. and still bulk bill you. And that's Australia. Mm. And, and, and that's why I love Australia. Well, it was Voltaire that said that, wasn't yeah. it? That I'd defend, yeah. I might agree with what you say, but I'd defend it. I mean, obviously, right within the film yeah. industry, yeah. there's been, I mean, I've been surrounded by so many left-wing people and I used, to, I used to get invited to the dinner parties and they would even see me as a kind of curiosity because I was right-wing and I would be happy to make some statements that are a bit, you know, over the top, but politically incorrect. But that was like the 90s. You know, it, it seemed like in the last 10 years with this whole cancel culture and everything, particularly around the time of Trump, that's when that's right. it was like somehow uh, it just changed the political discourse. That's right. You respect yeah. your views, may not agree with them, but I respect you. Just as a matter of interest, Doc, on a completely different matter, why would you have had how to vote people standing outside the referendum, yes or no? Why would you need someone to I, hand you I, a yes or no voucher... I have no idea. If you I never didn't know you were going to vote yes or no before you got there, <laughs> the did you think someone who hands you out a thing, the, vote are, yes or vote Sam, no? there are many what? things in life I cannot explain, and that's one of them. I never had anything to do with that. You know, Standing outside handing and, a yes or yeah, no voucher. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it made didn't. absolutely no sense to me. Well, now, look... Any other announcements uh, we'd like to make? Uh, what have we done here? Uh, I'll do a quick we'll shout out to Tim Wilms. He wanted me to give him a shout out. Anyone you want to have a shout out to? No, I just think it'd be good to. Uh, although I've got my uh, podcast, which is Damien Richardson dot online. If anyone wants to jump on that, I should update it too and talk about because I'm also got a Facebook page, um, which is just a yeah a political page of with my name on it. Because yeah, the uh, Australia Day celebrations at the. Uh, Doncaster Bowls Club, established in 1949, like you walk in there and it still looks like 1953, do you know what I mean? The decor, it's just be a great place. You've got room to have 180 barefoot bowlers on the lawns, the greens, I should say, that's what they call them, isn't it? Um, yeah, the greens. At one particular yep. point in time. So on could, the rink. We could have a lot of people... T- no, no, the, the greens. The, the greens. greens. Oh, yeah, oh, no, the rink. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Off, Ends, off. they play ends. They do. Each different end. So and it would be great to see... Uh, a stack of people turn up there on the day because we are celebrating the fact that that's when uh, Arthur Phillip cl- proclaimed the nation of Australia. So you mm. can say you don't like it, mm. you can say you have a problem with it, you can't change the date because exactly. it just is a historical reality. Whether, whether and it's for, like 1984 when they do want to change it. They this, want to rewrite yeah. history. They want to rewrite everything. Mm. You know what I mean? Which is what George Orwell wrote about, which is the danger of all this bullshit. 
Well, now look, it's David, because of people's empathy for the indigenous community that it happens to, because it happens inside of the so-called freedom movement as well. There's a lot of conjecture about what the date should be. It should be late July 30 or whatever, because apparently that's when the Red Cross came together to create to raise money for the diggers in the First World War, and they called it Australia Day. But even that belies the truth, because what were the diggers fighting for in the First World War? They're fighting for God, King, and country. They were, they were fighting for Mother England and Mother. England, the proclamation exactly. of Australia on January 20, it still leads back to it. So there's no way mm, yes, to, um, to get around it or get away with it. So anyway. Well, Damien Richardson, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure. Uh, Richard Wollstonecroft, uh, Muff Dick. Dick. Yes. The Muff Man. Good to get and you two together. Doc, Doc <laughs> Barney McCusker, what a star you are. Thank you, Doc. Uh, and O.A.M. Uh, uh, Stanley, uh, thank you very much. Um, you cannot be serious. Uh, we've spoken about a lot of things today and uh, had a fascinating chat to Damien Richardson. So thank you very much. And that is it. <laughs>